Welcome to Trinity Table Talk Podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winnegar, and yet again, I am joined by Father Tim Suits, the rector of Trinity Anglican Church. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be here, Andrew. So for the past two episodes, we have been talking about the first article of the 39 articles um, on the doctrine of God and the doctrine of the Trinity, and I think it's appropriate to move on to the second article of the 39 articles, which is on Christology. Now, looking at this, there is, I mean, we're, we're hitting um, the second person of the Trinity, the hypostatic union, uh, the, the nature of the incarnation, uh, the work of Jesus. Yeah, it's a pretty beefy article, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's one of the longer articles. Not, maybe not the longest, but it's certainly a long one. It's up there. Um, so we could, we could talk about this ad nauseum. Yeah, we, we could have a year of podcasts on just the second article of the 39 articles, easily. Right. So what, what, do you, what is the one category you want people to be able to walk away with, if just one? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first, um, I think, you know, Andrew and I would love for you to not only walk away with one category for Christology. He and I spend a lot of our reading time, a lot of our thought time thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and who he is and what he's done for us. But yeah, that question's wonderful. If you only have like one category to understand Jesus Christ and this idea of Christology, meaning, meaning our understanding of who he is and what he has done— for me, the category that carries the most weight and helps clarify the most parts of the Bible is the category of Christ as the mediator. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the mediator between God and humanity. Now, often we use that word mediator like in a legal term, right? So, you know, if you and I are at odds with one another, we take things to, you know, a mediator, and they stand between us as a disinterested third party, and then therefore they can sort out all the problems. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the reformers who really helped you know, establish this category meant. Rather, a mediator in this understanding is someone that has a full part on both sides. Jesus Christ is fully God and therefore fully aligned with the glory and honor and dignity and purposes of God. and fully man, and therefore fully aligned with the salvation and reconciliation of humanity to bring them back to life. He's the mediator. Now, often we think about that only in terms of our fallenness, right? We need a mediator right now because we have been alienated from God, right? And so we can't find our way back to God. We can't sort our problems out. We can't force our way back into his presence. And so What do we need? We need someone from God's side of things to come and make us right with him. And that's true. That's absolutely accurate. And we'll get into that in most of today's podcast. But I also want to open up your categories just a little bit, that it is inherently part of creatureliness that we need a mediator. Because if we're creatures, we are by definition finite. You know, we don't have an infinite amount of knowledge, an infinite amount of time, an infinite amount of space, an infinite amount of energy. And so how could we ever commune with an infinite being, right? 
He is infinitely categorically above us. Therefore, in order to bridge the gap of a, a finite being to an infinite being, the infinite being must come down and bridge that gap on his terms, in his categories, by his will. And so one of the things I'll talk about quite a bit in, in the life of Trinity Anglican is that a finite being can't transverse an infinite. You know, it's, uh, you know, when you're little, you think you can count to infinity. Remember that? Like every little kid thinks, I can count to infinity. No, by definition, you cannot count to infinity. <laughs> it's definitionally impossible. Um, so what needs to happen? The infinite needs to come and bring you into his presence. And so that's part of creation. In fact, I actually have a hunch that it's going to be a part of the new heavens and the the new earth. That even in the new heavens and the new earth, the Lord Jesus Christ mediates and brings us to the presence of God eternally. Now, in our sinful state, we can really understand why that's necessary, right? There is an infinite gap due to our sinfulness between us and God. And so, God has given us mediators. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, where God chooses to utilize one person on behalf of all of the people. It's this idea we've talked about before of the one and the many. So um, Abraham is a, is a figure of God chose one that then brings all of his children by faith into God's presence. Right? Moses is a great image of a prophet where God speaks to one and then that one mediates God's voice to all the people. Moses goes up on a mountain. God speaks to Moses. Moses then comes down. His face is shining like the sun. He proclaims God's words to them, and it's as if God is speaking himself. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's continued in like the great high priest. Yeah. Um, the priesthood in general, but specifically that high priest who would like go into the Holy of Holies, offer um, the, the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Um, on part of the people. That's right. And then he would come back out and he would pronounce God's forgiveness Mm. to God's people. He would pronounce blessing to them. There's a mediator that God's people are standing outside of the temple. God's presence is within it, and yet there is one that goes between humanity and God. But it's interesting. The Lord Jesus Christ perfects that in a way that the Old Testament can only leave Easter eggs with, you know, breadcrumbs towards. The Old Testament points towards in these fallen humans that fulfill that office, but Christ in his very being is the mediator. And therefore, every moment of his existence is perpetually that of the mediator. He doesn't, you know, so there's, let, let me clarify this. So in the Old Testament, there are three main offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And those three offices are inherently mediatorial offices, right? The prophet speaks God's words to God's people on God's behalf, right? The priest offers up sacrifices on behalf of the people to God and then pronounces blessing from God to God's people, right? Another mediatorial role. Kingship is another one that we don't think about as mediatorial, but, but it is. Because whenever you see a king in the Old Testament who goes astray, the whole kingdom goes with him, always. And so even that role is a role of media, mediatorship in which that person brings God's order to God's kingdom. 
at times well, but often, and most of the time, wildly imperfectly. Yeah. Right. So these these three categories: prophet, priest, king, are is how we should understand how Christ mediates. Correct. Mm. Correct. And this is a way that we can understand how the Bible fits together, is that Christ came to fulfill the roles of the prophet, the priest, and the king as our mediator. And let me explain, and I think this will all become very clear very soon. So what is one of the names of the second person of the Trinity? He is the Word. Now, we've talked about this before, but the word, or lagos, it means more than just spoken word. It means the ordering reality, the power of God, the structure of God in the world. When God speaks, things happen. You know, when you and I speak, sometimes things happen, sometimes things don't. But whenever God speaks, whatever he says, it is the case. So God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's why, you know, when people say, well, all you, got, all you Christians say is that God now says you are forgiven. I say, yeah, that's the most powerful reality there can ever be. If God proclaims you forgiven, that means you objectively are. <laughs> if he's the one that spoke creation into existence, he can speak new creation into existence by pronouncing you as forgiven. Now, that role of being able to speak is uniquely appropriated to the second person of the Trinity. God the Son or the Word. And God the Son or the Word became incarnate and dwelt among us. That's significant because, you know, Hebrews 1, right? 1 says, you know, now God is speaking through his Son, Jesus Christ, right? Well, think about it like this Jesus, truly in every moment of his life, fully revealed God, right? I am, I, I'm a prophet when I preach on Sundays. Martin Luther would go so far as to say, when I get up in the pulpit, he would point you know, at me, t- Tim Suits, you know, gangly goofball up in front of Trinity Anglican, and he would say, there is God. Why? Because as a prophet, I'm bringing God's word to God's people on God's behalf. If I'm rightly interpreting God's word and rightly proclaiming it, it's as if God himself is speaking, Okay. So I have a prophetic office as a preacher of the gospel. But when I was a two-year-old, I did not hold that office. When I spoke, I did not speak on behalf of God, right? I didn't. But Jesus, as God incarnate, when he would babble little words in his manger, was prophecy incarnate. Everything he did is God revealing himself. Everything he did is God showing to the world who God is. Even Jesus as an embryo, right, growing in his mother's womb, is prophecy, revealing God to the world. Jesus Christ dying upon the cross is prophecy, revealing the compassion, mercy, and love of God to the world. Everything he did was prophetic. Everything he did revealed who God is. And so if you ever want to know who God is, as Christians, we say, look no further than Jesus. He is prophecy. He doesn't just commit acts of prophecy. You know, we think of that. Like, there are heresies out there that say, okay, Jesus was just a prophet. It is baptism. The Spirit descended upon him. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
He's this prophet. He's speaking on God's behalf. That's not what we think. We think he committed acts of prophecy, sure, where, you know, he, he would predict things and say things on God's behalf, all that stuff. But even as a two-year-old, he is prophecy. You can't differentiate his person and his work. It's all the same act of himself as the mediator, as this great fountain pulling forth divinity into the world, overflowing divinity into the world, revealing divinity into the world. And yes, his flesh veiled him. That's significant. That's why people didn't fully see it when it occurred. That's an important category for us to understand. But it didn't make it untrue. I maybe this is something I'll have to take out of the recording, but I've I've found this significant in a number of conversation or papers. I mean, I was even talking to somebody I know not too long ago about um, why why do we believe? Why do we confess that all religions aren't true? And I pointed to this exact fact. That's right. Because Jesus alone legitimates our theological language, and if it does not. Uh, point to him, then we're just throwing darts to, in the ocean, hoping to hit a dartboard. Like we're we're totally off base. That's right. Um, it is he, as prophet and prophecy, who legitimates our knowledge about God. That's right. And only he can reveal who God is. That's right. I, 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 if we say that God is revealing Himself in other ways, then we're we're we're, we're diminishing the power of Christology and the work of Jesus Christ to be the one place where God, like a fountain overflowing himself into the world, is showing who he is. That deep well that's under the ground, God is bringing that forth in his fountainhead, Jesus Christ, and showering his presence and his glory and his perfection upon creatures. That's what it means to be a prophet. Now, the other one that's kind of e- maybe a bit easier for us to understand is, is priest, right? This is the, the, the entire theme of Hebrews. Uh, we preached this a number of years ago, um, and it was, it was a great sermon series. For me, at least, maybe some of you would disagree with that. Uh, but I love preaching it because, because it really got to the, to the core of who Jesus Christ is, and he's the one who can make us right with God. Um, he is the one that can bring us into God's presence. You know, in the heart of the Old Testament sacrificial system is that the people are far from God because they're defiled, right? And therefore, there's this one, and he has to fulfill all these ritual sacrifices. And then, if he's got enough blood covering him and he doesn't have sin while in the process, he can go into the Holiest of Holies once a year, offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. He's wearing a breastplate with 12 stones on it to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And if all that works out, then the relationship with humanity can stay as reconciled and whole. But it always needs to be done again and again and again. But in Jesus Christ, his very personhood is the reconciliation of God and man. He is a living temple where God and man are united in one person. In the act of the hypostatic union, he is the priesthood bringing together God and humanity. God, you know, we see in, the, in, uh, in when Jesus is sacrificed on the cross is right, what happens, right? The, 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 the curtain in the temple is torn. And I love Bishop Ken's image, you know, the temple in the, in the, in the, 
or the curtain in the temple is not torn from the bottom up like human hands ripped it. It's torn mm-hmm. from the top down. God rips apart the veil between himself and his people. But we can't, it reaches its climax in that moment, but it begins in the incarnation itself when God and humanity are reconciled and united in a person, Jesus Christ. He is the priesthood, and every moment of his being and act as humanity and God are walking in perfect unity in himself. That's what the hypostatic union is. The hypostatic union is an image of like the temple of God and man coming together. Now, it's totally unique. You know, there's so many categories that can blow up beyond that. I, I'm, I'm not departing from any of the classical categories of Christology here. It's just it's an illustration for you to understand this. Is when you see Jesus, you see humanity and God reconciled. And Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and the sacrificer. He was the one that gave himself, not unwillingly, but as a priest would offer a sacrifice, um, like, a, like goats and rams. Jesus gave himself to be both the sacrifice and the one who gave the sacrifice so that we can be brought into union with God and communion with him. And so, again, just like in prophecy, every moment of Christ's life is priestly because it's lived in the presence of God. Like in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see the perfect representation of God coming to man and man perfectly responding to God. All of that in one person, Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. He is the hope of life. He is the hope that we have that I can live in God's presence and not be destroyed. I can live in God's presence and perpetually receive the smile of the Father. I can be made right with God because I'm united to the one who is perfectly right with God. That's the beauty of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah. So I hope, you know, again, there are, you know, uh, we think about these, these offices, right, of, you know, you step into your office, you step out of your office, you do these things, and that makes you a priest, and you stop doing those things, and you stop being a priest. Not with Jesus. Every moment of his existence is priestly. So even now, right, we've talked about this before, even now, he is at the right hand of the Father, this moment, offering up prayer and worship and, and glory to the Father on your behalf. So that now when you pray, God takes, Jesus Christ takes your imperfect prayers and he perfects them, right? He is speaking in God's ear your prayers on your behalf and all the things you don't say right, he, he, you know, he, he, he fixes it for you. Your worship that's imperfect if you're worshiping in the power of the Spirit with Jesus Christ, he is singing. I love this image of, you know, a really good musician can make a, like a not good musician sound good, right? He is making you sound good in the, in the ears of the Father. So at church, you should belt it out without embarrassment because you are more, you have a more beautiful voice than the most beautiful singer you've ever heard in your life because you have the very voice of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Christ never ends. And that's why I wonder, I don't know this, it's conjecture, I wonder if there's something called the eternal mediatory work of Jesus Christ, meaning that just keeps going forever. Jesus is always working on our behalf. Hmm. So, 
What about the kingship of Christ? Well, Andrew, I'd like you to talk about that. You gave an awesome sermon on that, on Christ the King <laughs> Sunday. Uh, I don't know, was it a month ago or something along those lines? Yeah. So it's yeah, something that. that I know that you're passionate about and you think quite a bit about. What about the, what about the kingship of Christ? Yeah. I think if we're going to talk about the kingship of Christ, it starts with what you mentioned, that Christ's kingship is the perfect mediation of God's law, his order, to the rest of the universe. We have that verse, oh man, I can't place it right now, but um, in Christ, whom, in whom all things have their being, their existence, um, that the Logos uh, didn't stop ordering things and upholding things just because he was born of the Virgin Mary, became Jesus Christ, so on and so forth, um, that even in his incarnate life, he was still upholding all things. But not only is it the revelation, not only is he the revelation of God's order, but he's the revelation of God's law. Um, And this is the hardest to grasp because we, like the disciples, want a king who sets everything right right now. Uh, And in light of the, the ascension, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we still confess that he is king presently. But there's that part of us that, like the disciples, yearn, yearns for perfect order now. And so we look to the, the eschaton, that, that time where Christ does do all that. Um, but it's the hardest to grasp because we see everything wrong with the world. Uh, and yet we confess that Christ is king. I think this is one of them that's, we were talking about this earlier, it's, it's it's the one that we need. It's the one that we recognize is just so utterly significant and important in the work of Christ. That he's the king and lord of the universe. He's the logos that holds all things together. Therefore, he is the very order of the, the universe. He is kingship. Um, but when you look at your own life of suffering, you wonder if he's in control, is he a good king? And then so there are people, like open theists, that would say, well, he's not really in control. Um, And he's good. So then he stops being the king. (laughs) Because he's not in control anymore, right? He's not in charge. He's not ruling. And then you've got some that are, you know, he is in control, uh, absolutely, in in a really radical way. And he's pretty indifferent towards you, right? He's not necessarily a good king. But the eyes of faith always call us to say he is good and he rules. Mm. And in any suffering in our life, that is the only thing we can cling to. We are not given a promise to like perfectly you know, define Christ's kingship in our lives. We hold it in faith that he is a good and sovereign king. And his sovereignty means that he can make something come out of this that we don't expect, right? He can redeem all things and make all things new, even this present suffering, right? Only because he rules and reigns. He's the king. But not only that, he is the king that calls us his beloved children. He is a good king. Mm. And in the midst of suffering, we have to cling to both of those. Because what we want to do is we want to cut one of them off. You know, if we cut off his rulership, he ceases to be the king, but he's good. 
and he's our buddy and he cries on, you know, we can cry on his shoulder and he cries with us, okay? That's not who Jesus is. If, if we cut off his goodness and he's just the king, then he's, you know, this despot, right, who just doesn't give a rip about us and is just saying, well, I'm in charge, so suck it up and deal with it. That's not who God is either. It's not who Christ is either. He is the good and sovereign king, which is at the end of the day, the longing of every human heart. Mm. That's what every good story is about, like the return of the king, the return of the king that can bring order in the chaos, and he's good, yeah. right? This is Tolkien, this is Lewis, this is King Arthur, this is everything. Every great society has longed for that, a good and sovereign king. And in Jesus Christ, we have both. Yeah, yeah. And this was a part I wasn't able to put in my sermon. But like faith in that isn't, the hard thing is that faith in a good and sovereign king isn't a conclusion from life's events. No, no. If anything, life's events scream the opposite. Right. This is something like, it's almost like a, something you have to believe before you interpret life's events to see right. Mm. But when we, those, those few times when we can get that right, yeah. there's so much more joy. There's so much more uh, peace. Because there's we can hope. Yeah. Because we can see Christ as king. Mm-hmm. Amen. Through faith. Amen. So there's, we could keep talking about this on and on and on. But I think that is a good place to stop. Um, that Christ is in his very person. He is the mediator. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.